Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Jeremy Goodwin. We now turn to a part of police department policy that's getting a lot of attention these days. For more, here's producer Alex Hoyer. In mid-March, St. Louis County police were chasing a stolen SUV in South St. Louis County. At one point, the stolen vehicle was traveling 115 miles per hour. The chase was happening during the morning rush hour and captured by the Fox 2 News helicopter and shown live. This chase had us thinking about how police handle fleeing vehicles and pursuits. And here to talk about it is St. Louis County Police Officer Benjamin Granda. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Alex. So off the top with that incident, what can you tell me about the way that that happened? Well, that was an incident that originated over in Illinois. The Illinois State Police and our partners over there played a little bit larger of a role um, than us. We were kind of on the back end there to assist those agencies. Um, Nevertheless, that dangerous pursuit did come through our venue. It was something I wanted to get to later, but how do you handle pursuits between jurisdictions, especially ones that cross state lines? That's a great question, and it is complicated. Um, Even just jurisdictional boundaries, for instance, St. Louis County to St. Louis City or any of our municipal partners, if you're not on the same radio, sometimes those things um, present a little bit of a challenge as far as just a delay in communications where a dispatcher or communication supervisor might be speaking to their counterpart in that other organization. So the information is still being um, shared instantaneously, but there's a little bit of a delay just because it's filtering through another place. Do you ever switch to a common frequency between departments or is that even possible? There is a radio station called Point to Point that many a times these things are put there for those purposes or at least shared there. Um, And it also a lot just depends on the specifics of that individual pursuit. Mm -hmm. Because if you have something, um, there's a few examples where St. Louis County officers might have to switch their radios, even though a St. Louis County officer is in pursuit. If that pursuit is going to last over five minutes, if it's going to travel outside of the capabilities of our radio system, if we get too far out of St. Louis County, or um, if the supervisor believes that officers need to switch over to a different channel, then they'll initiate those things. And that switch will be for the officers not involved in the pursuit. So if I'm just not involved in the pursuit, but one of my buddies is who rides next to me, and I'm handling the radio calls, I'll switch over because obviously he is operating a vehicle in emergency circumstances. Mm -hmm. You mentioned a possible switch in communications if the pursuit lasts more than five minutes. Do most last more than five minutes or is there a kind of an average duration? I think most pursuits are much quicker than the average citizen would think. I think five minutes is a very long pursuit. If you're driving, especially if you're driving fast, you're covering a lot of ground in five minutes. Um, But again, that's one of those questions that's very specific to the, uh, an individual pursuit. If you have a person that is fleeing officers because of um, a strong arm robbery or a robbery in the first degree, that person may not run um, to the same degree as somebody who just fled the scene of a murder or things, things of that nature. And unfortunately, when we talk about pursuits, a lot of these things are not in direct control of the officers involved. A lot of these decisions are based on the suspect or the fleeing vehicle's 
decision processes. Mm -hmm. you, you said not necessarily uh, the officer involved their, their decision, but let's say that someone is pulled over for speeding. Uh, they pull over, but then when the officer approaches the vehicle, the vehicle that was stopped just speeds off. Mm -hmm. Does that officer pursue, or how do they decide whether they would pursue? Well, that depends on the facts that the officer knows at that specific point in time. Mm -hmm. On our policy, if that traffic stop was only for a traffic violation and there is nothing else, no articulable facts that would lead that officer to believe that anything larger was in play. Such as? Um, dangerous felonies. Um, that that suspect just committed a burglary first degree, a shooting, any of any of those types of very serious crimes, then our policy would dictate that that officer lets that person go if it's just for a traffic stop. But then I assume would try to follow up in some way. I mean, you would still have the information captured on some kind of dash cam video, I imagine. So there's still some kind of follow up with that, even if the officer there wouldn't pursue. You open up the, the door for a good explanation here. Our pursuit policy, um, it is it places a lot of fluidity or um, different options for the officer in their control. So if I believe through investigative techniques that I could identify that driver, that fleeing driver, and that he or she can be apprehended and held accountable at a later time, I think that uh, our policy and most reasonable people would say it's much safer to let that person go and we'll get them later on when we can control the situation better. Um, as far as your question about dash cams, we don't have any right now. We anticipate those in the not too distant future. But so many of these questions are just specific to the individual facts and circumstances of that pursuit. Mm -hmm. You mentioned a possible felony as a reason for initiating a pursuit what are some examples of those? That's a great question, Alex. And there are some misconceptions that it is only a felony that would meet our pursuit policy or that we would chase for. It's actually a dangerous felony. It's a little more specific. Uh, we're not going to chase somebody for a fraud or a stealing over case. Those are felonies, but they don't meet our pursuit policy. Our pursuit policy is specific to the wording of dangerous felony. Now, these are such crimes as murder, rape, sodomy, kidnapping, robbery, these uh, very egregious crimes that these people need to be arrested for. So that, um, that risk of that pursuit to take that dangerous offender into custody as quickly as possible, that is where um, the scales tip between safety and the risk of that person fleeing. We've got to get that person in custody. What about somebody who robs a bank? Well, that would certainly fit our pursuit policy. If they were going to threaten serious physical injury or death uh, by a, a dangerous instrument, especially by a firearm at a bank, then yes, we can pursue them uh, as long as it meets the other stipulations we have here. Mm -hmm. And some of those factors that would come into play for the decision-making process, whether or not to initiate or continue a pursuit, things like the obviously the seriousness of the offense, but also the speed, if that officer is comfortable with that area, how's the weather? Did school just let out? Are there a lot of pedestrians? Um, 
any of these circumstances uh, or conditions and others that I haven't named come into that decision-making process, not only for that officer, but his or her uh, superiors as well. The incident that we were talking about earlier, the one in mid-March in South St. Louis County, we were talking off the air, and you said that that was an ideal end to a police pursuit. Um, The people, there were two people who had pulled over. I don't know if they ran out of gas or not, but they jumped out of the car. They were running through some backyards, and uh, St. Louis County police officers apprehended them. Is that the way they usually turn out? There are pursuits, and we've had them, that have ended very badly. There are pursuits like this one that have ended very, uh, very good, where we're not seeing a gigantic traffic accident, where we're not seeing any type of serious physical injury or loss of life. An ideal situation is just that. Um, That vehicle, I don't believe it became disabled, but that motorist ultimately decided to pull over. They fled on foot, but it's pretty hard to outrun a helicopter and it's pretty hard to outrun police radios. Mm -hmm. So using that communication, using that teamwork with our friends and partners from Illinois, we were able to get them into custody without further incident. And uh, it was the Fox 2 news helicopter that was capturing the video. And uh, I happened to have the TV on while I was getting ready for work. And so I saw that. And when the people had jumped out of the vehicle, I saw them look up and they obviously saw that the helicopter and they just had this uh, kind of look. Was that helpful to the, to the police department? Yes, it was. And in fact, we reached out to our friends at Fox 2 and asked for uh, some of that footage as the investigation progressed to just that camera is so good and has a zoom of, of such quality, we can identify which one of those guys was the driver and which one was the passenger because the charges uh, following that have to be appropriate. Tampering first degree is a different crime for the driver because he's operating a stolen vehicle um, as opposed to tampering second degree, somebody who is a passenger in a stolen vehicle. Mm-hmm. So just for, um, for that purpose, it's very valuable. But I don't know what's going through the suspect's head at that time. I don't know if they think that's a police helicopter. I don't know if they can differentiate the fact that that's a, a news media helicopter. But it accomplished the goal, and that is a safe conclusion to that incident. I have a copy of the 14-page policy that where all of this is laid out, and there is a section about metro air support. So the police department does have uh, at its disposal a helicopter? Yes, uh, I believe we've actually got seven, and the St. Louis Regional, um, our Metro Air Unit, is a collaborative effort between the St. Louis County Police Department, the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department, and uh, St. Charles County. Okay. So we've got representation from each of those agencies that work on this thing. And if I have a vehicle that's fleeing from me um, from from a dangerous felony, I or my supervisor commander would reach a dispatcher and say, hey, is Metro Air Support available? Is a mm-hmm. helicopter up? If that helicopter's up, that's going to be a great tool. Just in that incident where you're, you're looking at this from the sky, that way officers can back up. There's not that sense of urgency if, you know, if this vehicle gets out of our eyesight, it's probably gone unless it wrecks somewhere else out of our view. You get that helicopter up, and everybody on the ground can can dial it down a little bit, slow down, mm-hmm. stay in the area, and listen for the helicopter. Okay, you know he's going um, 
north on Jefferson or wherever that vehicle is going. St. Louis Public Radio has a has a drone, and I we've been briefed on all the FAA regulations in terms of when you're allowed to operate the drone. But they don't; those regulations don't just apply to drones; they apply to helicopters and all aircraft. During a baseball game, for example, at Bush Stadium, there's a there's a radius where uh, aircraft is not allowed to fly. But is uh, police activity is is that exempt from from that? We enjoy a couple of uh, exemptions that others do not. Yes, um, but that's not a conversation that I'm really comfortable in getting to the weeds on. Um, I do know that we can fly over the stadium, but it's not something you're not going to see the police helicopter just hovering above center field in the seventh <laughs> inning. Um, so who who makes the decision on whether to call off a pursuit? That's a good question, and that could be done by a few different folks. And once I would initiate a pursuit, it doesn't mean that it's going to be seen to conclusion. Uh, once a pursuit is initiated, that officer, that supervisor, that commander can terminate that pursuit at any point in time because the information that you have at the beginning of pursuit can change as this thing develops. If that officer sees that there's a child in the backseat of that fleeing vehicle, that might be a, that's a pretty strong cue to the officer of, hey, is this worth it to continue? If I'm a supervisor and I know my officer's chasing somebody and they're coming up on a, a work zone, is that, is that another good factor of, hey, we need to rethink this pursuit? Or a school zone, maybe. School zone, exact same way. And the same for traffic. If traffic is really getting bogged down, is that good or bad? Are we headed downtown? Is there a Cardinals game in town? Are we going to have pedestrians everywhere? All of these things are factors. Uh, the weather too, just like the helicopter, if it's raining out, you know your vehicle is not going to perform as well as if it was dry out, if that pavement was not wet. So these are all factors and the overriding um, theme in our pursuit is the preservation of life. So you have to balance the risk of initiating that pursuit versus the reward of capturing those individuals. And that balancing act is, is ongoing from the second you flick those emergency lights and sirens on to the second that pursuit is terminated for whatever reason it ends. I'm talking with St. Louis County Police Officer Benjamin Granda about police pursuits. One of the things I've always found interesting is the different ways that police can stop a vehicle potentially, whether it's um, what's the technique called where it where they ram like the corner behind the vehicle to try to spin it out? Uh, that's a maneuver that we're not supposed to be using. That's okay. called the, the pit maneuver. You'll see that. It's in movies a lot. Yes, you'll see that in movies. One thing that we do use, um, it's very effective, is uh, spike strips. This is going to put um, a device into the suspect's tires if deployed successfully, where it's slowly going to deflate those tires. Now, that's not something we could use on a motorcycle. We couldn't do that. But for a four-wheel um, vehicle, that's something that could be in play, as long as other safety factors are present, as long as that's an option. How much lead time would you have to have? I imagine quite a bit to, to plan for that. Yes, um, it, it can be a challenge. There are a lot of times where pursuits kind of end up in the same direction or the same area. You can get familiar with an area that you patrol, and you might think, okay, well, this pursuit is probably going to come down Hall's Ferry. Uh, 
they might be heading back towards the city. That's one that we saw a lot. As long as you can get in position and you have to secure yourself behind some type of physical barrier so that way this suspect doesn't try to dodge these spike strips and run over a, an officer or something. You've got to be behind something. Concrete uh, would be ideal, guardrails, to oh. deploy those stop sticks and then get out of the way. Hopefully hits the suspect vehicle and then you remove them from that roadway before anybody else hits them too. Do officers train to do this? Yes. Mm-hmm. How much training is involved, not just throwing out the stop sticks, but how much training is involved with all of this? Pursuits in general, um, I want to say we have to do an hour of training a year on that. Um, Depending on your assignment, if you're in a unit that is going to be using these stop sticks often, you'll be a little bit better versed in it than somebody like me who's not using them. Um, It's very situational, but um, the training is very effective. I'm a much better driver now as a police officer going through the training that I've gone through at the St. Louis County Police Academy than I was prior to that. Have you been involved in a pursuit? Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about it? Uh, Well, been involved in a few of them, and there's nothing really remarkable um, about any of the ones that I've been in, and I'll knock on wood as I say that. Um, A couple of them, the suspect simply got away because in my thought process, that risk is no longer worth, worth the reward. If somebody's doing 100 miles, down, 100 miles an hour down Hall's Ferry, that's probably not something to my benefit, especially if it's in the middle of the day to, to participate any further in. Um, a couple of them ended like the one that you started talking about, um, where the suspect ultimately just kind of gives up and then there's an arrest without further incident. That's an ideal situation. You mentioned the pit maneuver isn't removed. I couldn't think of the word pit maneuver, but why why isn't that used? I mean, I imagine it was at one point. Well, uh, I think we have to be very careful about turning our roadways and freeways into, uh, you know, bumper cars. There, a lot of the checks and balances in our pursuit policy have to do with keeping the public safe. Pursuits are some of the most dangerous things that we can be involved in, and they're very dangerous for the officer for that suspect in that fleeing vehicle, but it's also dangerous for everybody who's just going about their lives, uninvolved in it in any way, shape, or form. The people that are on the roads going to work or school, or the people who are walking on the sidewalks. Have there been other ways in which police policy has evolved? Not using the pit maneuver is one example, but can you think of other ways that maybe the thinking now has changed regarding pursuits? I think that we've realized that these are incredibly dangerous. Um, Our pursuit policy is updated uh, and scrutinized regularly. If you notice, the one that I provided you is, was just issued August of 2018. And besides our use of force, this one comes under the microscope the most. Why? I think just because of how dangerous they they are, how Um, driven our world is today uh, with lawsuits, uh, things of that nature. So we have to have best practices put in place well before the pursuit actually takes place and have all of our members very familiar and comfortable with those policies and why they are that way. About how many officers would be involved in a typical pursuit? Ideally, you would have um, a primary unit 
they might be, they may or may not have been the uh, officer to initiate it, and then a secondary unit. When you're in a pursuit, the uh, it's very challenging, especially if you're driving, you're trying to call it out on the radio, you're trying to keep your attention on the suspect vehicle. There's a lot going on in those moments. Uh, it takes a, a high level of skill to do that proficiently. Ideally, the primary unit is focused on the suspect vehicle, and there's a secondary unit behind that primary unit that is relaying everything, all the communications on the radio. Now, those roles could be interchangeable uh, depending on a variety of factors. Um, so we have to be agile enough to continue that pursuit effectively if roles change. I've seen video before of uh, semi-truck drivers who will uh, know of a pursuit uh, because they have a way of talking with one another over their radios, and they'll sometimes form somewhat of, of a blockade of sorts. Kind of bog down the interstate or the roadway that they're on. Yeah. Is that helpful or hurtful to police departments? Um, that's a good question, and it's one that's kind of situational. I, um, on a personal level, and I would never tell a truck driver to intervene in any way, shape, or form, but I would feel much better about a bunch of tractor trailers being in the way than somebody with a pickup truck trying to uh, intervene. That's not really safe for many people at all. Mm -hmm. So um, that's kind of a non-answer, but I don't know if I could do <laughs> do any better. Well, you're not going to tell anybody uh, uh a semi-driver to get involved, but sometimes is what I'm hearing is that it can be helpful. Potentially, but no, we would never tell anyone to become involved in one of our pursuits, especially a vehicular pursuit, just because they are so dangerous and potentially uh, and unpredictable. And what can you tell uh, generally drivers in cars or trucks um, what they should do if if they think that they see a pursuit happening? I would uh, try to keep your driving maneuvers as predictable or purposeful as possible. Typically, when people see lights or sirens, they will begin to yield the right-of-way and they will begin to go to the right side of the road. Mm -hmm. That would That's ideal, except if the pursuit is coming on that way. Um, you know, on that side of the street. So it's, um, you just kind of have to be aware. Maybe you turn down your radio a little bit, take a look out that back windshield to see if that thing is coming your way and the best way to get out of its path, if that's practical. Up to this point, we've been talking about police pursuits that are with the vehicle. What about on foot pursuits, which I imagine come up quite a bit? They do. Personally, I've been in a lot of foot pursuits. Um, they are not nearly as dangerous as uh, vehicle pursuit. You're not putting the public at risk by chasing this individual. Um, I've chased people for just um, simple crimes like shoplifting. Um, mm -hmm. You can initiate a foot pursuit for that. It doesn't have to be a dangerous felony committed for me to run after somebody to effect an arrest. Mm-hmm. What about if an officer's off-duty? Uh, can they pursue either on foot or in a private vehicle? Um, that's kind of getting into the weeds here. Can an officer um, serve and protect off-duty? Absolutely. But there are a lot of unknowns. And often does. And uh, there are a great many more unknowns and a lot more 
um, potential safety issues involved in that. I'm not going to pursue someone in my personal car. Mm-hmm. You know, my Ford Fusion is not going to do real well <laughs> against the Challenger right. um, or whatever it is I'm chasing. But I'm going to act as if I cannot enforce the law, I'm going to act as the best witness that I possibly can. And then I'm going to call 911 and I'm going to get help in that area as soon as I can. That's St. Louis County Police Officer Benjamin Granda talking with producer Alex Hoyer about department policy concerning pursuits of suspects. And since we recorded that interview, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch ran an interesting article about the disproportionately high number of pursuits the St. Anne Police Department has conducted. In a recent two-and-a-half-year period, the St. Anne Department, with its 54 officers, engaged in 166 pursuits. Compare that to St. Louis County and its 950 officers. They conducted just 103. That Post-Dispatch story is written by Aaron Heffernan. It's called Until the Wheels Fall Off. St. Anne is proud of its rep for police chases, but there are costs. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jeremy Goodwin.